Hello, hello everyone. Hello, Kate. Hello. Hello. <laughs> uh, welcome to The World at Your Fingertips. Uh, this is our podcast where every week we talk about different topics and explore them with a guest about how it may affect, concern or interest us. Right, Kate? Yeah. Yeah. Basically. So we invite them to come and have a drink with us. You know, as you would when you're going to a bar, to a cafe, usually you get to know someone, the nitty gritty, over a drink. And that's when you really start to talk about their experience, about them, about what they think about certain topics. And that's when you really start to get to know a person. And so I want to know, Molly, what drink you've got with you. Well, you Kate, it's is it's over the the sun is over the hill. Is that the is that the, the phrase? It sounds all right. The sun the sun is so. over the hill, so I have got a glass of white wine with me for oh. this for this up. Classic. Yeah. See, I'm still sticking with a cup of tea. You know, a cup, cup of tea. <laughs> I know. And you know what? It's it's late in the day, Kate. Yeah. Plus, on with some. Like you live in your family house. I live <laughs> on my own. So if I drink, it's way more depressing than if you drink. Just put that out there. <laughs> that is true. I mean, <laughs> no, I am. Um, I just feel like on this in this COVID crisis, I feel like a glass of wine just wouldn't go amiss. You know, we're we're drinking together, so really, you wouldn't be drinking alone. You, we're we're virtually having a drink together. That's right. the whole point, Kate. Now you're just driving me into alcoholism, Molly. I don't want to drink. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, so let's talk about what are we talking about this week, Kate? (laughs) Initially, when we thought about the concept for the for the episodes, we called it what is British. But the more we researched it, we kind of thought, you know, that's such a broad topic. And it's so discussed in um, in so many different ethnic groups and versions that we need to be more specific. So we are discussing what is it what it is to be british in terms of uh like wales versus england and as part of the uk what are the individual countries different experience being part of great britain yeah i mean so i actually i mean this is like covid covid stories so i actually know someone who had who did a quiz recently and had a massive argument with their like on this family quiz because they all just had this massive argument about whether wales england scotland and northern ireland are states or countries and i'd say they're countries yeah i would also say they're countries um but then they were talking about how like the uk is a country so it's like countries within it's like country inception and i I can kind of see what they mean and maybe think about it a bit, but I would, I think I'm still going to stick with, stick with recognizing them as countries. Cause I think that's how I've learned it growing up. It's the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. So it's whether you count Britain as a singular country with individual states of Scotland, England and Wales, yeah. which is part of a kingdom with Northern Ireland or in my opinion, that they're, they're all individually governed. And although the house of parliament is a central government, they're all individually represented with Plaid Cymru, um, the Scottish National Party and stuff. Well, I, yeah, I, when we, 
uh, thought up doing this topic, and we uh, we have we got our guest who will be speaking very shortly. Um, I kind of thought, well, what is British? You know, as uh, the topic, um, but what is you know what does that even mean? And so. And so I took it to Google and um, I found this really enlightening <laughs> article from 2012 from CBBC Newsround. And uh, so I think it's t- kind of addressing what being British is because it was the uh, the Jubilee that year and the Olympics. So That's trying to kind year. of get that sense of nationhood to yeah. out to people who may be thinking about it. And so... Um, Basically, the whole article is asked for people to send in what they thought being British is. And there are some there are some interesting responses. So we've got, well, actually, to start with, it talks about how whether what makes you British is to do with maybe a tradition you follow or values you have, or maybe it's a British person in history that you identify with, which is a, a one I've not heard before. Um, and then so here are some responses so this is from ben in bristol uh i believe being british is showing pride respect and being proud of living in the uk it also means showing knowledge and respect for the royal family and drinking lot of tea i know those people who don't really respect the royal family and also don't drink tea so as much as you know and they're not I, british molly <laughs> that's what Ben from Bristol is saying if you don't drink tea and don't respect the royal family then you're not British and then and then someone oh someone from Scotland said I think that being British means that you are proud of the country you live live in brilliant spell check there CBBC um it does not matter if you weren't born there or if your family aren't from there but then that's followed by Rahila from Greater London, who says, I think being British means having British citizenship. But also that calls up the question of settled status. I mean, I know this is CBC News where we're going off here, but there yeah. are so many political steps in, towards getting citizenship. There's like someone, someone from another person from Scotland's put living in Britain, speaking, living in Britain, speaking English and having some English culture in your daily life. Like, what does that even mean? What I is mean, English culture though? Yeah. Scottish person. <laughs> like I know speaking English, obviously that's a language. So that's mm. relatively clear. And living in Britain again, you know, that's relatively clear. But yeah, what is having some English culture? And also just like, there are lots of British people that don't live in Britain. Yeah. There's also, also like, oh, sorry. even speaking English, do they mean yeah. as your first language, is your second language well exactly like, yeah because a lot of welsh people i mean i've met people when i went to northern wales in like snowdonia national park who only spoke welsh and that's yeah. the first language so yeah, i'm a definitely. bit like yeah it's not but it is interesting that you know english is always the the dominant aspect of the term british when we discuss it like welsh or scotland is well i think especially wales is more on the fringe and a, and more of a not so understood element, especially on an international stage. And it's like when, you know, American people are like, oh my God, I love your British accent. And it's like, no, I have a Northern English accent or I have an accent from London or, you know, it's not a British accent. To me, I don't understand why. I do understand why, but it's interesting and whether we can change the fact that British is synonymous with English and not how that can be explained better when it's so embedded that British is someone knows with English. Yeah, it's actually funny you should say that about the the accent thing. I was travelling <laughs> through Thailand and oh. uh, <laughs> on my gap year. Classic. <laughs> we were in a group of people and I was with 
a a Glaswegian girl, a girl from Sheffield, a guy from Liverpool, and then an American guy. And he couldn't hear the difference between our accents apart from the girl from Sheffield, which I thought was so weird. So he couldn't hear the difference between my accent and the um, Scouse accent and then the Glaswegian accent that could hear the girl from Sheffield had a different... It was so strange. I was like, well, that's baffling. I mean, it's a bit off topic, but what? Yeah, like that just makes no sense. I don't trust this American person. Like You say that, but on the CBBC article... Uh, a girl called Shauna from Michigan in the USA said, being British means that you are born in either Scotland, England, Northern Ireland or Wales, even if your mum and dad are from a different country. So that's quite interesting to yeah. say that like, if you were born, and I actually think that's probably one of the most insightful out of all of yeah, these statements. Definitely. Yeah, considering that like she's, the, she's also the only one who's from the USA. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you're parents are from a different country or family are from different country a lot of people identify as being British by growing up within the culture and I think that people are so quick to assume that you're not and you know I and it happens all the time for example I have a very close friend who uh, was born in London, brought up in London, uh, but his family is Nigerian. And people will say to him, oh, where are you from? Like in a sort of suggestive way. And he's like, London. I always love it because I'm like, well, yeah. yeah the worst is when they're like, no, originally. Yeah. yeah. Just like London. stop there. Stop there. Like you've yeah. already put your foot in it slightly. Just stop there. Just don't go, yeah. don't be like, no, no, like, but like before that. Like, no. Ugh. Or it's like, where is your heritage from? And it's like, what what does that even mean? <laughs> like yeah. but also I, I, I get it. I think you can still be consider yourself a hundred percent British, but still I guess I could use myself as an example. Yeah. Like, I'm 100% white British, but I'm also Romani and a gypsy. But they don't necessarily reduce each other. I can have dual identities and consider myself both, like, your average British person and technically as part of a minority ethnic group. And I think that's really interesting that there's a sense of if you're British, you have to be all in rather than having two identities that really can live together and can you know amalgamate into something really interesting but rather you have to be British you have to be fully British and all in but I think actually I think it's much more creative and interesting if we just let nationality identity you know cultural uh, experience blend into each other be much more fluid than you're from here you behave like this you drink tea you love the royal family I think although that's good for comedy and it's good conversation it's when you're talking about it like we are over over a drink and trying to get down to the nitty-gritty is it is it necessary at all apart from being a, a tool of you know classification in terms of state and economy and politics is it necessarily to do it culturally can we just do it in terms of logistically and leave classification out of culture yeah i i do i definitely think it's a generational thing i think it's something that has definitely emerged more recently in sort of being less like restrictive i think everything's sort of more free-flowing in terms of what is understood or how people might identify as being british i think it's become less i hope it's becoming it continues to become less restrictive but i think having having multiple different identities that again are free-flowing they don't like I say you don't have to be restricted to any singular one but I definitely think it's interesting in terms of like looking at different countries within Britain or within the UK 
yeah, but that segues us great into me and Stephen, our guest, because obviously he he can tell us more about the combination of being both English and Welsh. Um, so let's meet him. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you so much for helping us with our podcast. Hello. So yeah. can we get to know a bit about you? What are you drinking, first and foremost? I am drinking Australia beer. Oh, beer. Lovely. Nice. So you and Molly are both on the alcoholic, and I'm still on my cup of tea. I mean, I was after six. I, I'm surprised by you, Kate. Yeah, Kate. It's the sun is over the hill. What can I say? Quarantine has changed me. <laughs> I was yeah. going to say that's done the opposite. Quarantine has changed me in a way that I I'm definitely drinking more alcohol than I, I'm than scared I did. Of. <laughs> it's not a good thing. This is just one big cry for help. Okay, <laughs> uh, yeah, Stephen, tell us what you do. And more I, about you. I am a master's student um, in Aberystwyth University um, in Mid Wales, because very few people actually know where that is. Um, yeah, but I'm from Cardiff originally, so from South Wales. I've lived abroad in a few different places. I lived in Norway for a while and in Japan, Australia. That's yeah, so cool. and, and came back to do a master's. So yeah, been around a little bit, got a couple of different backgrounds. Kind of relevant to this discussion is um, my dad's English, my mum's Welsh, so a uh, little bit of a rivalry, but yeah, we'll go into that. That's a bit of a quick lowdown. Yeah. I bet the rugby in your house must be such like a war between oh, the yeah. two. Oh yeah. So many, so many competitions. So like the rugby, my dad's lived here 25 years. He still doesn't know the anthem, by the way. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, and the fact that he votes conservative, my mum votes Labour, like just oh, oh, man. crazy. <laughs> you really are just like an amalgamation of two different... <laughs> Well, yeah. yeah, it does get a bit ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. But it's entertaining. So it's quite interesting already that you chose to remain in Wales to go to university. Was that like a conscious thing or you just thought Aberystwyth was where I wanted to study? Mm, semi-conscious because I was also considering like Chester, which I guess is a bit half and half. Maybe it would have suited me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah true. But um, I kind of always enjoyed Wales and I, I actually moved out of the city to go to, well, as you've seen, the tiny little place that is Aberystwyth. I know I, I kind of enjoyed that background and... Uh, and wanted to kind of explore it a little bit more. But I'm not sure it's entirely conscious to stay in Wales. I just knew that I liked it there. Yeah, so obviously we sort of spoke, you learn in English that you don't learn Welsh. Yeah, it is an option for us to learn Welsh if we want in any of their courses in our university. Can I just say, Stephen's research is so well sourced and like referenced. <laughs> like I'm just looking at it. He's got a graph of Welsh <laughs> speakers. Do you want to talk us through the graph, Stephen? Okay, yeah. I mean, basically they're just trying to get more young people to speak Welsh and um, particularly in schools. So that's what the graph is about. There weren't that many speakers left. So yeah, that's what the famous graph is. Most of the sources are Wikipedia, so I'm not claiming entirely academic uh, proofing. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all about experience on this podcast. So we love just talking to people who have first-hand experience. Um, so we sort of discussed at like our little introduction bit how internationally English is sort of seen as the dominant aspect of the term British like have you experienced that when you've lived abroad and sort of you know travel to different places that when people say British they actually mean English and when they meet a Welsh person like you perhaps they're like oh okay weird yeah it is particularly true with Welsh as well because um, quite a lot of people will know Scottish and Irish you know particularly Americans they'll know of Scotland and Ireland as well but very few people kind of have an awareness of Wales I don't know why there's kind of um, such a disparity between that maybe it's just because there's fewer Welsh people um, and fewer emigrated I bet so I was sort of doing a bit of research because I realised I never learnt this in school kind of how the UK and how Britain kind of formed as like mm. three 
well, three slash four, whether it's Britain or UK, separate nations sort of all came together under United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. But from what I understand, sort of Wales was always similar to England in terms of religion, point of view, democracy, whereas Scotland was a bit more contrary to uh, British values and stuff. So you went to school in Cardiff. Did you learn anything about Welsh history that isn't taught in like British English schools? Yeah, so we do um, we do do a little bit on um, like the Acts of Union and things like that. So essentially Wales has been, well, part of the UK originally since Edward II, so from the 13th century, I believe. Don't quote me too much more history. And then going into the Acts of Union with um, Henry VII when it was kind of officially all joined up with um, with England. But um, that's why we, you know, you didn't have the kind of later um, unions with Scotland with like the Stuarts and things like that. But for example, so we'll learn a little bit on, on the Welsh history, not like a huge amount, but just a little bit. But we won't learn on kind of English-Scottish things. We don't learn about, you know, the Battle of Bannockburn and things like that, you know. Maybe a little bit more than people in England will get, but not like a huge amount, um, particularly in Cardiff, which you might not get it as much as um, if you're in a Welsh-speaking school. I mean, it's the same with learning, I guess, about England and the M- British Empire and stuff and there's certain bits that are just left out. It's interesting, though, that there is a difference between Welsh-speaking schools and English-speaking schools in Wales. Because obviously we, we've never experienced that, Molly and I, because we're born and raised in England. Did your parents have to choose between sending you to a Welsh school and an English-speaking school? They definitely could have done. Yeah, they could have sent me to a Welsh-speaking school. But neither of my parents speak Welsh, even though my mum is Welsh. But I mean, it's crazy seeing the difference between my mum's ancestors, great-grandmother, things like that, couldn't speak English. Um, they were only speaking Welsh. So you can see the change and kind of how that... Because in the 60s, it, it came very close to extinction, basically, and then has come back again in the last 10, 20 years. My parents didn't choose to send me to a Welsh-speaking school, no. Would you say that... I don't know that much about Welsh-speaking schools, but is it if you go to a Welsh-speaking school, is it like only Welsh? So would that be limiting for students who maybe speak only Welsh and then may have trouble with English? Or growing up in Wales, whether you are just exposed to English in day-to-day life or whether there are some areas where, because I know the North is quite sort of Welsh language. There's like a big, there's a lot of Welsh speaking up in the North, if that makes sense. And so, um, so like, is that say like Welsh pride and that like, you know, continuing the language or what are your thoughts on that? It is a strong aspect of it. I would say the, you know, the kind of language is a, is a focal point, but kind of one of many different things that um, are quite complicated just in terms of the relationship that Wales has with England. You know, Wales is quoted as, as kind of England's first colony by some people. Right, yeah. So you, you kind of have that mindset that you get that does exist in a, in a lot of places where you kind of have that um, minority-majority relationship, if that makes sense. But the, the language is definitely kind of um, can be used as a focal point. But the question on kind of its its limitations is interesting because there's different arguments about those people else and they'll have their kids raised in, in Welsh speaking schools and they'll kind of feel that, you know, it's a waste of time, blah, blah, blah. You know, why do they need to learn Welsh? So there's quite a lot of um, debates around that. 
But um, I mean, I, I'd love to have been able to grow up speaking it because I think if I'd been native in two languages, I would have been able to pick up a third and a fourth um, really easily because, you know, I grew up in something like 80% of our year failed Welsh um, for GCSE because, you know, it's just one of those areas that no one really um, was focused on it. You know, we were just taught that sciences and maths are more important, whatever. But I mean, it was also true of French and, and German that I didn't pay that much attention to because they're just not um, regarded, you know, language learning in, in because of the English dominance is um, is kind of disregarded. But I think that like kind of great aw- awareness of our native languages will help us learn and be more exposed to other cultures and other kind of points of view. So I think it's a good thing overall. It's interesting how you said Wales, Wales was England's first colony because that is like in so many ways true. But I always find interesting, I mean, this is a bit of a tangent, but you know, the British Empire, Empire was so huge and third of the world was under... Um, British Empire's rule. And it's interesting that the relationship between England, Scotland, Wales, when they're all so close together, was different than England and India, say. And it was so a different structure. But interesting, why didn't, I mean, I'm just curious, why didn't, you know, England just take over Wales and just make it an extended part of England? You know what I mean? But it's kept its sense of nationhood and mm. national pride despite the overbearingness of the British Empire and the but it's still kept as Wales. Yeah, and it becomes quite an interesting thing because you end up um, believing in things that aren't centered entirely around nationhood. I, I've seen it in other areas. I, I found it in um, in Greece a little bit because even though Greece has come back as its nation, um, the kind of emphasis, the, the belief that they have in orthodox religion is, is very strong, even though a lot of people don't practice on it. And um, I was told that that was kind of uh, an extension of their time under the Ottoman Empire because they all had to take part in something, even though they didn't have their own country. They they had to all be together in this in this kind of community, mm. um, and you do see that in Wales as well. In examples like the language um, and how that's come back, but it's not necessarily because the the history is a lot more interesting and complicated than just saying, oh, you know, anyone that spoke the language is going to be, you know, say anti-English and things like that. Because mm. uh, what I went into the the Tudor dynasty was in part founded in Wales. You know, Henry the Seventh was from Pembroke Castle, and used Welsh mythology to be able to take power in England. So support for the modern Mickey, for example, in, in Wales is kind of complicated, but it's always been quite historically strong in ways that might be a bit more complicated in, in Northern Ireland in particular and Scotland. So there's definitely different kind of relationships between Wales and England that might not be true of, yeah, there are the relationships across the world. Yeah, definitely. And I think obviously when Henry, I mean, this is, we're going on a full history lesson here, guys, but <laughs> when uh, Henry VIII developed the Church of England, obviously Wales not everyone but a lot of people took up the religion uh the same as english people did but obviously scotland didn't ireland didn't it was very complicated so maybe that's the idea because i've always thought in my head i don't know where i've got this impression from that england and wales were closer than like england and scotland are england and northern ireland are like england and wales are like together but in terms of like governance maybe you can tell us a bit more like because obviously we're all under Westminster and um, the central government but then obviously there's 
play Cameroon and you have a separate party, like national party. Can you just explain that? I sound so ignorant now, but can you just explain <laughs> that a bit more to me? No, I mean, it's fair. It's not something that um, the rest of the UK is exposed to so much. So we, we have devolved government in, in Cardiff. So we have the Senate. They receive funding from Westminster, but they have control over a lot of key areas, you know, aspects of the health service, the big ones. You get the sense that Wales is a bit more, should we say, socialised um, in terms of, you know, Wales is, there, is kind of famous the home of the NHS in many ways because of an Irene Bevan. So we have free prescriptions where England doesn't and, you know, our student loans, uh, the amount that we pay for tuition in university is less than in England. Um, and that's kind of because of the Welsh government. And obviously they have big focus on restoring the language. So we have our own TV channels that are in Welsh and things like that. It's interesting that obviously in terms of funding, Scotland gets a proportionally larger budget and there's also controversy in terms of how do you feel in terms of being Welsh and having um, a devolved government? But then, because basically I heard a debate once on Radio 2 where they were like, they want independence and they want free um governance but then they also need the funding for infrastructure in order to reach that and it's kind of like does England or the rest of the UK keep funding this development of infrastructure in Wales for them to go independent and it's kind of like a symbiotic relationship with deciding whether they need to develop it in Wales or how the UK functions in terms of all working together when they're technically separate nations and they're devolved nations and separate governments if that yeah, makes sense. So this is kind of, yeah, this this is a really big question on um, how you maintain the fabric of Britain. Yeah. Um, because, you know, you, you could take the position of, as an English person, see the Welsh language as a threat, mm-hmm. um, which is fair in some ways because, it, you know, it's something different and something that, um, something that you don't know about, you don't have control over. And, and so, yeah, you know, maybe it's a risk that you provide um, funding and support um, to Wales, um, which is, you know, a key area that um, I talk to a lot of, I've talked to a lot of Welsh speakers and, and Welsh people and they've said, oh, you know, we can never go independent because we would never be able to economically survive on our own, you know, which is which is totally fair in a lot of ways and, and many people have good reasons for believing that. So there, there is kind of the dilemma that you get with, also causes problems where there's a perception that, you know, we, we get less funding because it's an act to, you know, of subservience that, that we won't be able to develop to ever be in a position to, to be independent. Because um, well, there was a there was a question about about going independent. I, I feel like maybe it might have just been the news, but when uh, Scotland had their referendum, I'm sure that um, Plaid Simru had a had a, there was a question about whether Welsh was going to try and go fight for his independence, and mm-hmm. I feel like nothing really came of that. And I, I I wonder what your perspective on that is in terms of like whether you think that that would have been a smart idea or whether you think that there's a lot that Wales gains from the partnership with England and and vice versa as well there's a lot that England gets from Wales like what what do you think of that yeah so that's where it it gets quite complicated I think in my experience just talking to people I would say that um the majority in Wales by a fairly noticeable way would um would not go independent. There's not quite that same kind of culture of the independence movement that exists in um, in different parts of the UK. 
but you know it definitely does still exist and it is there which is interesting because obviously our language is stronger than Gaelic in Gaelic in Ireland and Scotland so you know it, it shows that it's not just um, you know there's different aspects to our idea of our nation so I personally wouldn't see it happening. I know that there there are pushes for kind of greater independence in terms of um, uh, Mark Drakeford, the the leader of um, the Welsh Senate, was um, pushing for federalised um, states. So basically, more or less complete control um, for the Welsh government in Cardiff over you know most aspects of life in Wales, and that was kind of as a response to everything that happened with Brexit, which is another interesting thing because Wales for Brexit as well, um, which leaves us in a slightly different position in Scotland and Northern Ireland. Um, right, yes. so, yeah. yeah. There's just a lot of complexities to it. Yeah, definitely. I think also um, there is a sense that Wales can maybe achieve, keep developing their national identity in terms of language through Plaid Camroo. Are we saying that right? Plaid Camroo? Yeah, I'm nervous. Are we actually saying that right? Uh, Plaid Camroo. Oh, wow, oh, I'm so wrong. Well, That's so embarrassing. And yeah, you know I what? Think... I'm actually from Welsh. Like I have Welsh family, so I really should be better yeah. than this. This is embarrassing. Sorry, Grandpa. See, I don't, <laughs> so I can just uh, pronounce it. Can you, say, can you say it one more time, Stephen? Uh, Plaid Cymru. Plaid Cymru. We just get Camry. a bit funky with the letter alphabet. I love. I think it's, this is what's so fascinating about the Welsh language as well, because it's actually not. I well, from my experience, is not very similar at all to um, the English language, which is what I, I think it's. I did. That's why I quite like that. There's such a push to keep it alive because it's yeah. so different, and so I quite like that people are are really passionate about keeping it alive rather than just ignoring it because it'd be so easy for people to just be like, oh no, nah. like you know, yeah. it's not that important but the fact that it has such importance in Wales and it is part of the sort of national identity of Wales I really think that's I think that's really great I can always remember when I was driving to you at Aberystwyth uh, a few months ago and I was driving for like five hours straight and then all of a sudden I saw this word on the road and I was like it was like half an hour before I realized it was saying stop in Welsh and I thought I was just like that drowsy and that like confused that I just couldn't read the word stop because I'm dyslexic and I was like wow I really reached low in my life <laughs> and that is as soon as you enter Wales you know you're entering Wales if you know what I mean it's like it's not the same as Scotland where there's still you know you have Welsh on the road signs it's very like you can feel like you're entering a different country, which is why I found it so interesting internationally. Because nationally, within the UK, Wales feels very separate. It feels like like a sister nation, but it's separate. As soon as you enter it, it feels different. Whereas internationally, that doesn't come across and like translate on an international scale the same way it does on like uh, within the UK, which I find so strange. Yeah, it, it gets interesting because, you know, the, the UK becomes like a patchwork almost, you know, a mix up of different things, which is kind of leads me to, to my own belief of what British identity is in terms of everyone has a stereotypical view of Britishness that uh, go down the pub and, uh, and you have your roast dinner on a Sunday and, you know, you speak the Queen's English and... 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you go to Cambridge and Oxford to study, and but that's not true for the majority of us. The idea of Britishness has to encompass all of it, even if most people internationally will associate it with you know one thing, whether that's because of the media or the government or because they've only encountered a particular type of English person um, mm-hmm. or Scottish person or Irish person. But um, you know, the the country will be about different people. Um, so you know, as much as I I love being the stereotypical Brit and have my roast on the Sunday, you know, if I'm you know when in when I lived. I lived abroad for like nine months straight. I came back and, um, you know, flew into Heathrow. But, you know, it's definitely crossing the bridge and hearing the Welsh accent again in the Welsh language, um, you know, from the bus driver. That was kind of that warm feeling of being really back with what I identified with the most. So I kind of want to link that actually with, so talking about my family, my grandpa is Welsh. I don't think he would say that, but basically he was born in the 1930s. Both of his parents are Welsh. They're from, right, I'm going to read you a a word. And if I say it wrong, I am so sorry. (laughs) Uh, Bryn, 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 oh no. It's in Brecon. Yeah, yeah, that. Oh man, that's so embarrassing. Yeah, that. <laughs> I don't want to say it again, I'm too embarrassed. Ah, man, I'm, I'm not, I don't have a flair for Welsh, I must say, and I apologise. I've spent quite a lot of time in Wales in my life, whether it be family holidays. My grandpa was born in London and was evacuated to Wales. So he lived mm. in Cardiff, I think, for a few years. Uh, with his mum and his sister and then moved back to London after and he says that he will identify as being English um, because he was born in London and spent most of his time most of his life in London and in England but when he moved to Wales he picked up a Welsh accent and his obviously his mum had a Welsh accent and his sister then picked up that Welsh accent which she still has but when he moved back to London he got bullied about his accent and he basically like forced himself out of it I was talking to Kate about how perhaps this kind of patchwork of of the UK that you speak of is is becoming more free flowing now that perhaps it wasn't in you know like 80 years ago I don't know what you think about that and you know I I kind of think it's sad that my grandpa had to try and drop this accent I think he is proud and you know he supports Wales and you know rugby and everything like that but like it was a shame that that had to happen back in that time and whether like that would happen now still and I don't think it would but the fact that it was like that once is just it seems yeah yeah strange it is a lot better in my experience. I think um, the younger generations, I say, I sound so old saying that I'm 23. <laughs> um, <laughs> Those young folks. But they, they seem to be more accepting, um, you know, but they, there is like the lasting legacy of, of certain things like that, unfortunately. Um, so there is a perception. I, I spoke to one Welsh speaker who's a little older than mine and you know he was saying that there's a perception at least I I can't say how true it is um, that you know obviously English people tend to be a bit more well off and they'll come and retire in Wales um, and he said that in their local community um, you know they, they bought a cafe English people retiring from England but they kind of didn't like the fact that um, that their local community was Welsh speaking and that you know they might have felt that they weren't necessarily a part of it so they there was a perception at least that they didn't like hiring Welsh speakers to work there and you know you kind of do get those legacies and there's there's perceptions that the the Welsh language is entirely suppressed and before that 
the Welsh government itself had control over it. Um, but I think it's it's a bit more complicated than that. But I think what existed um, 70, 80 years ago in particular was kind of the expectation to conform that, you know, you might only be given jobs if you sounded a particular way or, you know, you had that proper English accent and you, you know, wore suits made in London and things like that. I think that to be more accepting, you just have to kind of accept that people sound different, people act different, you know, people speak differently. And that's, you know, that can become a very strong part of our British identity as a whole. You just have to kind of remember that and not expect people to be a certain way. Yeah, I think that's generally, like even within our lifetime, like we're all 23, 22, but I feel like there's just generally more of a culture of acceptance, which I think is already beginning to be reflected in society. But I do think in terms of, you know, discussions of Wales and England and Scotland, I find it so interesting that still there's a persistent idea that Wales would come independent from England when supposedly, you know, it's a United Kingdom, it's Great Britain, we're all one together. But there's still sort of a hierarchy that's persistent in Hmm. um, the UK. Like, I'm just wondering from your perspective, like living in Wales, whether you still feel that hierarchy and how that might be different from your perspective from our perspective. Yeah, so you you do feel that hierarchy in terms of... um you know, it could come in the way of opportunities, for example. But that's not just true of, of Wales. You know, you could say that from someone from the north of England, um, for example. You know, people feel they have to move to London to to be able to, you know, get the best opportunities. Oh, I feel that so much. But, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe people relate that to... Um, um, as well to being Welsh um, as much as someone from Yorkshire would would say the same so it's hard to make that kind of a thing that we feel in particular yeah maybe maybe it still exists I just wouldn't have a necessarily like a claim over it but you could say that you know our standard of education is lower or um, you know various things like that but I mean that comes into the kind of question of whether I would trade what I've grown up with um, for you know living in a really posh place in the middle of London and you know going to grammar school or things like that and I wouldn't but yeah I do understand I guess you could say the same we're comparing Wales to England here but of course it's the same from the north of England to the south of England feeling there's so many differences within a singular country same with North Wales South Wales because of Cardiff and Swansea like it's so different within one thing that to define a relationship by say Molly being from near London, me being from near the north, you Wales, we actually have more of a divided opinion than we actually think because we've all got very singular experiences of growing up within the UK. I think you can argue that for beyond just the UK as well. But I think it's aspects like that that make the sort of formation of culture and the different cultures that exist within a singular uh, country or like within the United Kingdom that makes that country so special in having so many different aspects to it. And whilst there will be conflict and there is conflict and um, particularly when it comes to politics or different cultural perspectives or yeah, environmental factors in which people grow up in. But I do think that whilst things are becoming more free-flowing between Wales and England and Scotland, I think that's really important in forming perhaps what being British means and I think that that can be positive I'm hoping that I mean I don't know if that's an optimistic view but I hope people will agree with it but I, I hope that can be how 
it's received no yeah. I, I would totally agree with it um and that's kind of my maybe my optimistic view in the long run um and i just kind of like to see it be a thing with as many people as possible that just kind of have an awareness of the differences and being able to celebrate them rather than you know worrying about the you know the potential that whales might break off and go independent or you know that we're gonna be t- completely different and you've always got to be in control and you know all these different kinds of things because i've been privileged to kind of work internationally and, and live abroad and, and see these different things in different countries and uh, you know it's it's always kind of a true aspect I, I saw it with the maori in new zealand and you know with the aborigines in um, in australia and things like that there's always a potential for conflict between you know different peoples that share the same space but there's no real need for it from either side if you're just prepared to kind of trust people a little bit yeah definitely i think like you said celebration rather than comparison as well like we really should be we should be at yeah. we should be celebrating it and i think also that's one thing about this global pandemic that might be a good part of it you're sort of appreciating what we have within the uk and that includes having two three northern ireland four um republic of ireland four really strong interesting cultures so close to us like around this island that really we should be making the most of and it's i mean to scotland and wales you don't even have to fly like you can get a train and still experience a really rich diverse and different culture that is so interesting and so beautiful places that people you know don't necessarily need to fly or don't need to leave where they come from in order to to have really diverse experiences and i think that's so nice to think of what is british as you know a collective really diverse and interesting place than just a predominant english southern english culture that overrides everything else but yeah (laughs) thank you so much Stephen. you spoke so like eloquently about wales literally i mean i've been there and i love wales but you've maybe fallen in love with it a bit more or just you i don't know (laughs) which one i'm not it's always going to want you to come back oh thanks (laughs) (laughs) you're you're great thank you so much for joining us Stephen. you've been an absolute star yeah no problem at all it's great speaking to you guys yeah I just think it's such an interesting topic to talk about and I feel like it's even more interesting to be able to get different perspectives from around the country around the countries around the United Kingdom um and yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, so thank you very much for listening, guys. And we'll see you next week. Yeah, thanks, guys.